0: Chapter 45 of Souls for Sale. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Souls for Sale by Rupert Hughes. Chapter 45 There was much skylarking on the set, a childlike spontaneity of wit and cynicism, and an inexhaustible fascination of craft. Mem was becoming something of a technician the mechanics the artisanship that sustains every art the alphabets of expression the wireless codes for the transmission of emotion its creation in a transmitter its preparation for the receivers all these things no artist can ignore and succeed the more eloquence the orator feels in his heart the more he considers his tones the more earnest the writer the more piously he cons his dictionary the more glorious the singer the more he studies his breath control His coup de glotte, his white noise, his transition colors. The more fervid the composer, the more he ponders acoustics and tone combinations and the inventions of new instruments. The more eager the painter, the more he analyzes his values, the more he seeks new tubes, new brushes, new chemistries of color. Only the amateur, the dawdler, the dilettante despises his craft and depends on passion or that egotistic whim which he calls inspiration. So the ambitious actor must experiment always with the tools of thought, the engines of suffering. Once, when Mem was shocked at a flippancy of Tom Holby's concerning his art, he rebuked her earnestly. "You're not really well acquainted with your art unless you can joke about it. What's funnier than the idea that being funny is not as serious as being solemn?" Collie. There was never a finer actor than Nat Goodwin, and I heard him say once, speaking of his Shylock i was great in the last act i knew i was great because the audience was weeping and i was guying it and when you can guy a serious scene you have got to be great men began to understand also but slowly that making fun of one's serious emotions is a form of modesty a covering of nakedness a shy retreat behind a mask of smiles she began to be able to talk flippantly of her art and to talk of it in trade terms one day when she was posing for a big close-up of herself asleep the director asked her to try to squeeze a tear or two through her great clenched eyelids she startled even him by saying with an elfin earnestness what kind do you want one great big slow teardrop, or a lot of little shiny ones he was shocked but he hid his own sense of sacrilege in a careless give me one large tear about five-eighths of an inch in diameter all right she said And she did. It oozed through her long lashes and slipped reluctantly down her cheek into her hair, and, knowing what he knew of its control, he felt his own eyes wet, and the jaded cameraman whispered awesomely, Great! In another scene, where more tears were required of her, he noted that, while she waited for the camera set up, she had her hands gabled at her lips, and she seemed to be whispering to herself. Curious, he asked, What are you up to now? she gazed at him i was praying god to send me beautiful tears he shook his head and walked away gasping one afternoon the chief financial power in tom Holby's company saw mem pacing up and down by herself at a distance from the set he watched her and noted that she leaned against a canvas wall and hid her head in her arm her shoulders quivered and shook with forlorn woe his heart was touched and he could not resist an impulse to go to her and proffer his sympathy in her evident grief he touched her on the arm and asked with an almost mothering solicitude you poor child what's the matter she whirled on him in surprise and stared through a shower of tears then a smile broke from her blubbering lips and she giggled i'm just getting ready for a big crying scene he fell back as if he had touched a serpent he was disgusted with himself for making such a fool of himself and wasting his precious pity on a little trickster. The climax of Mem's shamelessness was reached one day when Robina Teal and the great Miriam Yor visited the studio and stopped for lunch in the commissary. Mem was put on her mettle by the grandiose condescension of Miss Yor and by the suspicious jealousy of Robina Teal. The matter of tears for sale came up and Miss Yor spoke of how she got hers i find that if i use the tone of voice intentionally which i use unintentionally when i am really crying the tears come it may be just muscle memory or it may be that i grow very sorry for myself robina did not know how she got hers margaret anglin said she could cry at will over a fried egg or anything so can i i just imagine the scene and say to myself cry and i cry till the director says cut neither of the famous women thought to ask the rising miss steddon how she manipulated her lachrymal art tom holby feeling that she was slighted brought her into it by asking her her system prayer and brute strength said ma'am robina was in an assertive mood and as one violinist might challenge another to a concerto or an orator propose a debate to another she called for a duel of tears She thought she could send Miss Yor back to the grand opera she had come from. "'Let's have a crying contest,' she said. "'I should have to have music,' said Miss Yor. "'Come over on my set and we'll give you your favorite tune,' said Holby. He dragged Remember Stedden along, though the two veterans did not take her into account. Holby explained to the director that they were to have a field day of emotion, and he consented to defer the scene he was about to shoot.' miss Yore wanted the theme of the Liebestod played over and over the wheezy little portable organ made a sad mess of Wagner's braided harmonies but the violinist caught the cry of the melody robina could cry best for just a song at twilight but she gracefully yielded the choice of music to miss Yore mem had never heard an opera grand or comic but the strangely climbing anguish of the tune caught her up on its pinions and lifted her into that ether where the souls of imaginative artists fly in all disguises and assume all personalities the rest of the company and the crew stood aloof and watched in amazement as the two world-famed stars and the rising young asteroid Mem began to war with their own features like athletes tuning up or shadow boxing the three women walked apart for a moment grimacing and forcing themselves into a state of agony robina achieved the first sob she broke and flung herself on a couch and sobbed aloud mem jealously decided that she was cheating and rather looked down on her shoulder work it was pumpy she stared at miriam yore an ambulance statue of heroic postures lifting her hands to heaven carrying them clasped to her fulsome bosom and indulging in the despair of a medea or a cornwall princess whose draperies must also weep about her beautifully in Mem's eyes Miss Yor was as stagey as Miss Teal was screeny. Neither of them seemed quite human. Grief to Mem was a homely, unlovely, tearing, disordering thing. To cry gracefully was not to cry at all. She was the realist, the small-town girl whose heart gives way, whose features crumple, whose eyes blear and reek with bitter, devastating brine. The onlookers called Robina wonderful. They called Miss Yor beautiful they paid the untimely tribute of admiration but when remember steddon abruptly flopped into a chair like a flung rag doll and began to choke and snivel to dab at her eyes and wrinkle her chin to fight and hate the spurting tears to sway her head in futile protest to give vent to ugly little rasping noises that seemed to saw her throat raw and to grow extraordinarily homely and pitiful the spectators felt a something familiar out of their own childhood out of their own old lonelinesses and defeats their own faces puckered their hearts were nests of pain their eyes went dank and were blurred they gave her the ultimate tribute of sympathy and echoed her misery miss teal stopped crying to stare miss yore ceased her magnificent stride both forgot to be artists Before they realized that Mem had not really broken down in a genuine grief, they had surrendered the battle and were crying with her. And she, having set in motion the wheels of sorrow, could not stop them. There is so much to regret in this world, and in any life, that it is perilous to start the tears rolling, lest they crush the soul. Her triumph astonished Mem and all the witnesses, but she was almost destroyed with her own victory. She was sick and ashamed of the blasphemy of her abuse of such holy things as tears. Afterward, however, she could laugh again, and when Tom Holby told her that she had wiped the earth up with her two rivals, it was a thrilling thing to hear. The contest was the talk of the whole studio, and the publicity man sent broadcasts to the enlargement of Mem's fame, her brilliant etu in tears. It was all working toward her glory as a mistress of emotions. End of Chapter Forty Five. Recording by Diana Beauvais.